0: Exodus chapter 8, as we continue to work our way through the book of Exodus. That's the second book of your Bible, Genesis and then Exodus. This is the book of the Exodus, um, and we are seeing God come with a mighty hand of deliverance for his people, uh, Israel. And as he comes, he's dealing with the Egyptians and a hard-hearted leader named Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And so we have looked at the first two plagues in the book of Exodus from the mighty hand of God. There are the first two of 10 plagues. Uh, If you remember to last week, the first plague that God uh, smote the Egyptians with was the plague of turning the Nile River into blood. And the Nile River was one of the major uh, deities to the Egyptians. Remember the the god, as funny as it sounds, the god Hoppy and the frogs and everything that happened, God definitely has a sense of humor. And so we saw that happen. And then we saw the plague of the frogs. Everywhere frogs, rivet. And uh, we looked at the idea that uh, there was an underworld they thought the as a matter of fact they thought the Nile River ran through the underworld Isis was connected to the underworld and other gods and of course the blood comes forth from the Nile indicating perhaps that that god is dead and then the frogs come forth and they come forth in such overwhelming numbers that they are in the people's beds, they're in on the kneading boards, they're everywhere. Modern vernacular, they're in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your oven. Frogs, frogs, everywhere, frogs. And it is a nightmare for the Egyptian people. And so Pharaoh has a moment where he wants relief, of course, and so he calls for Moses and he asks that Moses would intercede for him and Moses indeed does do that and you remember the frogs die out but the Egyptian people have to pile them in piles all over the land and there's a stench and there's heaps and piles of frogs everywhere and I'm sure it must have been quite a project to try to get rid of these frogs and do something with them. Maybe it was frog bonfires. I don't know what was going on But uh, there would have been a long-time reminder of the mighty hand of God and of the stubbornness of their leader. Before we go any further, let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. May your Holy Spirit teach us wonderful things. May you grow us in our most holy faith to be stronger, to be built up on the words of life. Indeed, your word is our spiritual food and we need it so desperately, Lord, to be strong. So tonight, let us eat Let us drink from the wells of God. This is your inspired word given to us for our benefit. Let us learn the lessons of not only the Egyptians but the Israelites as well. Let us apply the lessons that we learn. And tonight, Father, we pray you'll lead us and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, as we look at plagues number three and four, we're going to have a message called the coming swarm. Yes, indeed, the coming swarm, because the plagues three and four have to do with gnats and flies. Verse 16, Exodus chapter 8. Now, what you have to remember about the Egyptians is that they had gods for everything, they had a god for the Nile, and the two first plagues had to do, were connected with the Nile. But now uh, we're going to have a plague that's connected with the earth and they also believe in gods of the earth. If you look at um, some of the uh, Egyptian paintings of their gods, you'll have a god lying on the ground and another god over over that god and they're interconnected and they're supposed to be family members and one protects the air and the other you know uh, is the god of the insects and they had gods for everything hundreds and hundreds of gods if you go on the internet and you uh, type in gods of egypt you can do reading on each one of these gods and it's incredible the mythology and the the paintings and and all these things that you had in regard to these gods And God is going to go directly after their false gods, gods with a small g. It says in verse 16 of Exodus chapter 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. Now, if you are interested in Hebrew words, this word for gnat, is transliterated K-E-N into the English and it has the sense of a fastening little bug almost invisible to the eye but the idea is a tiny stinging gnat type creature. And uh, there's some debate as to exactly what this is or what, it, what, it, uh, what exact species it might be. But the bottom line is that most uh, conservative translators would translate this some sort of gnat, some sort of the essence of the Hebrew word is something that fastens on to you. And if you've ever uh, just been out mowing your lawn on a nice cool afternoon in Corona, which are rare, Uh, You might note, or maybe it's just me, that the gnats seem to come out in abundance. And they normally come out when I'm doing something with both my hands. And they do that. (laughs) Have you had that experience before? They decide to make your ear their sound chamber or something like that and it's always when I can't knock them away and then you know someone will look at you from a distance and you have about 25 gnats and they'll begin to bug you yes that's what gnats do they bug you and it can drive you crazy and you could have you know 10, 20 even one gnat you know if it gets into your ear is a problem Well, the dust is turned into gnats, and notice through all the land of Egypt. And they did so. They honored God, of course, by doing what he commanded. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, the rod of God, the shepherd's staff that God has now used to be the instrument or symbol of his power, and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast all, notice, all the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. There's two alls there and indicate that all the dust through all the land is putting an emphasis on the numbers of gnats we're dealing with. Gnats on man, gnats on beast through all the land. Now, I don't know if the Bible's using hyperbole, which is kind of inflated language, or literally all the dust became gnats and you can conclude whichever you want, but the bottom line is that there are mass quantities of gnats. And they're landing on people, and they're landing on animals, and it's a big problem in all the land of Egypt. And so gnats, gnats everywhere. And you could imagine that indeed Pharaoh is bugged at this point. And the magicians, verse 18, tried with their secret arts. Now isn't it funny? These guys are so silly because you would have thought that with their secret arts, if they had access to some sort of demonic power, I would have been the first magician to uh, come up with the off. Uh, you know, you know what are the, what's that spray stuff where you can spray yourself? I'd be trying to, you know, come up with a huge can of off. I wouldn't be trying to make more gnats! but these guys, you know, they're just a little bit misguided and so they try with their secret arts and I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing some sort of chant or whatever they do to bring forth more gnats. But they could not. So the gnats were on man and beast. They can't seem to produce the gnats. And remember the first two uh, miraculous works of God, they could imitate to some degree. Why they can't do the gnats, I don't know. But it is interesting to think about that the gnats come from the dust of the earth. And, of course, in Genesis, in chapter 2, I think it's verse 7, we know that man was created from the dust of the earth. And God breathed into man the breath of life. He became a living soul by the mighty power of God. And now God takes dust, but not for the purpose of bringing human life, in this case, dust to produce pestilence. And it shows us the power of God, that he can do anything he wants with his elements, It's his world. If he wants to make the dust gnats, he can make them. He can do whatever he wants. And so this is what God is doing now. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Now that's a radical statement because the magicians, the astrologers, and Pharaoh's court say, hey, something is happening here. We can't produce the gnats This is the finger of God. Now, when you read commentators on this, uh, some believe that they're not necessarily acknowledging Yahweh or the God of Israel. We're not sure. But they know that some God is helping out these Jews and he's got power. Power beyond what they can imagine. But notice Pharaoh, even with his right-hand men, even with his guys saying, this is the finger of God, you better be careful, Pharaoh. You know what Pharaoh does? He hardens his heart. Look at verse 19. This is the finger of God, they say, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. You know, whenever you have a hard heart, you don't listen. Whenever you have a hard heart, you don't listen. In the uh, book of Matthew, when Jesus was talking about marriage and divorce, He said that the reason that Moses wrote the law regarding marriage and divorce was over a problem he called from the Greek sclerocardia. It means a hardness. What's the word cardia mean? Your heart. He said the problem, the reason that there's this problem with divorce is because your hearts are hard. And whenever your heart is hard, don't forget this. You won't listen. And you know what? There are situations in our lives where you know, the, the uh, rabbis used to say that God gave you one mouth and two ears. That, that's an indication he wants you to listen more than you talk. But oftentimes we don't want to listen. And whenever we don't, when we don't want to listen, it's usually because our pride is hardening our heart. And so this is, you know, Pharaoh's got men that have been looking after him, men that have been trying to protect his back. They even tell him, This is the finger of God, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's hard. He won't listen. Now, what's interesting is in the book of Luke, in Luke, and you might want to just write it in the margin of your Bible, in Luke 11.20, Jesus said that he cast out demons by the finger of God. Of course, we know when Moses received the Ten Commandments at the end of the book of Exodus, the book says that they were written by the finger of God. So this is an interesting statement that even Egyptian magicians say about God. They use a biblical phrase done by the finger of God. What's interesting in in Luke uh, 11.20 when Jesus says he casts out demons by the finger of God, you know what they were saying to Jesus in that context? They were claiming that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. What's interesting about Beelzebub is when you do a little research on that name, that name harkens back to a meaning called the Lord of the Flies. And there's some interesting connection here, Bible students, and, and I'm not quite sure how far we ought to push it. But uh, as we unfold these passages a little bit more, I just want to plant that into your, your heart and mind. They were accusing Jesus of doing something by the power of Beelzebub, but back in our text, there is supposedly a god. His name is U- Ueket, and he was supposed to be the god of insects in Egypt. Now, we know later on, Baal was worshipped in Babylon, and he his name would have uh, different endings, and in this case, Baal be- Beelzebub had to do with the lord of the flies or the lord of the... Air or the heavens, and what's interesting is when you look at Egyptian deities, there's lords of the air, lords of the heavens, lords of the insects, and of course, when the Jews saw ancient peoples worshiping uh, gods with a small G, they would they would believe, and in, this indi- is indicated in the Psalms and the New Testament that they were actually worshiping demons that behind these false gods, even though there were idols that were simply just made of stone and whatever else, wood, behind them, if you actually worship these things, if there was any power being manifested by these gods, it was demonic. And Satan was just simply using a false god or the idea of a false god to manipulate people. Of course, it's still happening today. Oftentimes not under the banner of statues. Of course, we do see that in other religions but with false teaching and often false gospels. But it's interesting, by the finger of God, this has been done, the, the magicians attest to it in our text in verse uh, 19. Now in verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning. And one other note uh, for you Bible students, the third plague comes without warning to Pharaoh. The third plague, there is no warning. And it just reminds me, uh, if, before we go into verse 20, that Pharaoh had a couple of warnings on the third plague. When the third plague comes, no warning. And it reminds me that, and we're going to see a little bit of a pattern of this, but when you push it, when you push the envelope, don't expect that you're always going to get a warning. Uh, God may not give you one. He may warn you a couple of times, but then you may just get the plague, (laughs) if you know what I mean. And I'm talking about people who shake their fist at God and will not heed when he's making a clear message to them. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Now we saw earlier when the first plague happened that this is where Moses positioned himself. By the Nile, Pharaoh would come out to the Nile River apparently as a morning ritual. He would go there because he believed the Nile was a god. He also believed he could gain some sort of supernatural power from the Nile. Moses was to position himself and present himself to Pharaoh right at the Nile. Now you have to wonder that after uh, Pharaoh's seen the Nile turn red blood, he's seen frogs all over the land, and he's seen this r- plague of gnats bl- 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 in the airs, gnats, gnats everywhere. He's probably getting a lot of hate mail at this point. When he walks out for his morning ritual to go out to the Nile, who's the last person on the planet he wants to see? But this dude with this shepherd staff and his bro, can you imagine? The entourage of Pharaoh going out. Now, if you're Moses, now you've seen God's hand move, but now he says, now you go position yourself again by that Nile and you meet him there. Now you've got to wonder, in Moses' humanness, you're thinking, wait a minute. How good is the staff if they try to kill me? I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm probably on the top ten most wanted. I'm probably numero uno. And he was supposed to notice the language, present himself before Pharaoh. And it just struck me that if we're going to do something bold in order to present ourselves in a situation to be obedient of, to God, we need to first present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, one and 2 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. If you're going to be effective for God as his spokesperson, you better first meet with him individually. Amen? Then you'll be ready to meet the pharaohs of the world. Well, Moses... No fear, apparently. No trepidation. Remember, earlier in his career, we saw the excuses. I don't know, Lord. Maybe somebody else. Maybe I'm the wrong guy. Now he goes. And Pharaoh is coming now out to the water for his morning ritual and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you will not let my people go, verse 21, Behold, I will send swarms of insects, on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of insects and also on the ground in which they dwell. Now this second uh, plague, the first one was something like a gnat. The second one, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Remember it was finished around 150 BC or uh, somewhere in there maybe 150, 200 years before the time of Jesus, um, renders this as a dog fly. Now, I don't know if it's a dog fly. Other commentators said that they believed that this was a type of beetle, and there was apparently a beetle-type god that the Egyptians worshipped. I'm not sure. But it's either some sort of fly that bites you uh, with its painful jaws. Some even say that this was an insect that would attach itself to the eyelid, and when it was very annoyed and angry, it would literally bite you right on the top of your eyelids. Whatever it was, there are swarms of these insects. Uh, This is, apparently, the Egyptians considered this a manifestation of their god, Uetchit. But in this case, I don't think that they think that this is a manifestation of their god. Because they're not experiencing blessings from the swarms of dog flies or whatever these things are. But these things are swarming, and if you look at verse 21, they're not only going to swarm outside, but they're going to be, notice middle of the verse, on your people In your houses, in the houses uh, where the Egyptians are, they're going to swarm insects. Now, when I walk outside my side French door at certain times of the year at my house up here in Corona, there are swarms of bees in my trees I have this, some of those bottle brush plants. Have have seen those. They grow the red. And the bees just swarm to those, but they're pretty attracted to the plants, so you can walk by, but it's kind of an eerie feeling because you're... Zzzz, and there's a pretty heavy buzzing going on, and you're hoping, I hope these bees just don't turn their attention to me all of a sudden, right? As long as they're in the tree, it's kind of cool. It's all right. But imagine that you can't shut your French door in Egypt because the swarms aren't only in the bushes, they in your kitchen they're in your bedroom wherever you go you can't get rid of the bugs can you imagine being an Egyptian no matter where you go there's a constant swarm maybe by (laughs) your hairdo I don't know you can't get rid of it the magicians haven't created the easy off bug spray this is a plague folks this is not fun and games We're dealing with a God who has power. He says, oh, you you got a Lord of the flies? I'll show you flies. You got a God of the insects? I'll show you insects. It reminds me of, you know, the Egyptians when they, or the Israelites when they're out in the desert and they said, we want meat. And he said, God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat, right? Until it's coming out of your nose. Well, in this case, the Egyptians worshipped bugs, insects. And God said, ah, you think your God controls those? I'll make a few of them out of the dust and I'll remind you who's really God. You think, boy, it would be tough to be an Egyptian in these days. But on that day, verse 22, notice this. I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. Now, you would be a happy camper if you were living in Goshen in those days because you'd just be watching this from a distance and you'd be thinking, those poor Egyptians. Isn't it different when you're watching something from a distance as opposed to being in the middle of it? I mean, when you watch something on TV or from a distance, you can have some empathy over oh, that poor soul, you know. but you're not being swarmed, so it's not that bad. I told you guys the story when I was in India, I traveled to Nepal and India in 2001 and I had the privilege of training some pastors there and we did some hut to hut, literally hut to hut evangelism and uh, we drove into um, a very poor part of India where actually Mother Teresa had ministered for many, many years. And uh, as we were there, we were on this bus and we're on, on this air conditioned bus and The traffic was just wild in this part of the world. There's no lanes. There's these guys in white suits uh, just blowing into their whistles. Everybody honks their horn constantly. People are. Like, <laughs> but you're thinking, I'm on an air-conditioned bus. I'm an American. I'm in India, but it's cool because I'm just an observer. And then all of a sudden, the the traffic comes to a halt. All these cars are merging. People are yelling. White me. <laughs> all this stuff still thinking it's alright I hear oh there's a political uprising in the distance about a mile away some people rebelling against the government I'm thinking well I'm still on the bus I know I'm in India but I'm still on the bus and then all of a sudden (coughs) the bus dies in the middle of India And I see the American team members one by one running off and literally there I was. I finally got off the bus. There's our guide from India. American team members and we're pushing a bus in the middle of India. And I looked at one of our American team members and said, I am pushing a bus in India. (laughs) There's something wrong. I am no longer of an observer. Well, if you were in the Israelite in these days, you would say to your friend, I'm glad to be in Goshen today, aren't you? As you saw Egyptians going, ah, blah, 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 blah. can you imagine this? <laughs> I'm glad to be one of God's people. Wild. On that day, I will set apart, I will deal differently with the NIV, says the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of insects will be there, in order that you may know. Here's the reason that you may know that I, the Lord, I'm in the midst of the land. It's not going to touch my people. I'm going to make a distinction between your people and my people. Now, if you're a Christian tonight and you've been looking at the world's situation, whatever your view of eschatology might be, whether you believe in pre-tribulational rapture, mid, pre-trib, or what do we call our position again, Oscar? pre wrath, post-tribulational, whatever your position tonight, one thing that you can know, you are not appointed to God's wrath. When the wrath of God comes, the insects will not be buzzing around your head. Of course, we know that when the day of the Lord comes, it's not going to be anything like flies, is it? It's not going to be anything like gnats you know, nibbling at your ear. It's going to be much worse, and it's going to be on a very broad scale. But Egypt is a type of the world And Pharaoh is a type of Satan. And when the day of the Lord comes, God will make a distinction. This is good news for believers tonight. Between his people and the people of the world. And if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are set apart by him, sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, you will not incur the wrath of God. You've not been appointed to wrath. You will be delivered. You will be hanging out in Goshen, as it were, perhaps watching now, not with glee because we don't take any delight in the judgment of God, but you will certainly be joyful, won't you, that you're under the blood of the Lamb. You can uh, cross-reference Revelation 3.10 and First Thessalonians 5.9 if you want to check out the future for the believer. And so he put this division between his people and the people of Egypt, and he said, tomorrow this sign shall occur. And then the Lord did so. The Lord will always honor his word. And there there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh. He was not spared. And the houses of his servants. Now, I don't know if he had a big mosquito net going on or I don't know what you would do uh, if you you were trying to deal with this. But great swarms of insects, 24, into the house of Pharaoh, the houses of his servant. And the land was laid waste because of the swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. The Lord did so. Look at the verse 24, beginning of the verse. Then the Lord did so. He always honors his word. Psalm 78:45 says, he sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. In Psalm 105, verse 31, he says, he spoke and there came a swarm of flies and gnats in all their territory. Notice in the latter half of verse 24 their land was laid waste pharaoh wasn't spared his magicians and priests were not spared and by the way the egyptian priests especially took ritual baths and shaved the hair off of their body to be clean before their gods and now they had gnats and things buzzing all over them and they were ritually unclean and this was definitely cramping their religious style and so the logical thing We already know that the dudes, the magicians can't produce the gnats. They can't produce the easy off. And so Pharaoh calls for guess who? Moses and Aaron. And he said, Go! Sacrifice to your God within the land. Oh, what's the problem here? Well, the problem is that God said that he wanted the people of Israel to go how many days journey out into the wilderness? Three days. He wants them out here. Pharaoh says, Get rid of the bugs! Get the dog flies out of here! <laughs> Maybe he's getting rid of them. Oh, well, there, there goes the microphone. He says, But do it within the land. Go sacrifice to your God. Yeah, we want relief, but go do it within the land. See, Pharaoh proposes a compromise. You remember the uh, Indiana Jones movie when the Germans are pursuing the ark and the pirates have it and Indiana Jones is on the boat and the captain of the ship says to the commander who comes after them, he says, go ahead and take the box, take the ark, but leave us the girl. It will reduce our losses on this trip. And the German commander says, you're in no position to compromise. He says, we'll take what we want and then we'll decide whether or not we'll blow your ship out of the water. How do you like that for compromise? Well, in the same way, Pharaoh's in no position to compromise. He's got, a, he's got a whole thing going on with a swarm in his head. But he says, hey, go ahead, sacrifice to your God, but do it within the land. Don't go too far. Now, Pharaoh's a type of Satan, isn't he? And isn't that often what Satan does with us? Okay, you're going to church. Okay, you're a Christian, all right. But don't go too far. Stay within the land. Stay in the world. Don't go three days' journey. That way you can look back at us. Keep your eyes where they need to be. Don't go three... Stay in the land. See, that's what Satan says to us. See, you don't want people to think you're fanatical. I mean, after all, the people of the world might think that you've really lost it. And the next thing that you'll do is put a Jesus freak sticker on your car or something. You know, That would just be way too far. And Moses said, it's not right to do so. For we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Will they not then stone us? Now, the Egyptians, remember, they disdained shepherds. And apparently, maybe even the sacrifice of sheep. We're not sure. But they also had a cow god, and Oscar is going to teach you next week a little bit about the plague on the animals and so forth. But for purposes of this discussion... Uh, I think Moses is aware, having grown up in Egypt, what is an appropriate sacrifice in Egyptian eyes and not. And he says, hey, this will be an abomination to them. We must go, 27, three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord, our God, as He commands us. We will do what He told us to do, how He told us to do it, and when He told us to do it. And you are not going to dictate to us, Pharaoh, what we're going to do. And as a Christian tonight... That ought to be your mentality. I'm going to do it how God wants me to do it, when, where, and I'm not going to worry about the critic. And I'm especially not going to worry about the people whose God is the God of this world. They're not going to dictate to me what my non-negotiables are. And as Christians tonight, I think that we need to to decide what is non-negotiable in our lives. You can decide that, despite sometimes what the world makes us think. And Pharaoh said, 28... I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Okay, maybe you should go one day's journey. Ah, okay, well, let's go to the bargaining table, Mo, and and we'll bargain a little bit. No, no, no. It was three days' journey. Don't go very far. You see the plan here. And he adds this little... Uh, <laughs> this little tag and would you make supplication for me I got a lot of bug bites you know <laughs> I mean I'm itching all over the place would you pray for me you know, talk to the big guy upstairs you know since you're going to go and everything and then Moses said behold I'm going out from you and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of insects may depart from Pharaoh now you got to love Moses because he shows some, some compassion here that I'm not sure I'd be shown at this point I think I'd be saying uh, I'm leaving, and then I'll decide whether or not I'll blow your ship out of the water. But, but Moses doesn't do that. He says, all right, Pharaoh. He says, I'll pray for you, that the insects may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. Only do not let, notice this, Pharaoh deal deceitfully again. You see, you have a, kind of a bad record, dude. You keep telling us we can go, but then you change your mind, You harden your heart in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, made supplication to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of insects from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, and not, notice, not one remained. Again, probably quite a cleanup job that had to be done in Egypt. But Pharaoh, here it is, hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. wow, this guy's a glutton for punishment, isn't he? He just doesn't get it. Now, as we reflect back on this scene, I just want to talk to you for a final few moments on this separation. Because I think that this is intriguing. The land of Egypt would be swarmed, but the land of Goshen not. And you know, one day in this world, there's a separation coming. In Matthew 25, the picture that Jesus paints is that he will sit on his glorious throne that day and he will separate sheep, you remember, from the goats. This day of separation coming. And you know when that day when we'll really know who was belonging to Egypt and who belonged to Goshen? We'll know on Judgment Day. And of course, you know, as we came into this, we talked about what's really important in life. I want to read to you a letter that was written to Ray Comfort from an atheist. He said, Ray, you are really convinced that you've got all the answers. You've got yourself tricked into believing it 100%, right? Just one thing. Do you consider yourself to be compassionate to other humans? If you're white as you say you are and believe what you say you believe, how can you sleep at night? When you speak with me, you speak with someone who you believe is going directly into an eternity of an endless onslaught of horrendous pain which will be dished out, and it's kind of cut off here by your creator, yet you stand by and do nothing. If you believe one bit that thousands every day were falling into eternal and unreachable fate in hell, you should be running into the streets with rage at their blindness That's the equivalent to standing on the corner and watching every person that passes you by walk into the path of a bus and die. You stand idly by. And you're like someone who sits there twiddling his thumbs, happy in the knowledge that you get the walk signal. It will shine on you and get you across the road. Think about it. Imagine the horrors hell must have in store for us if you believe it's true. You're just going to allow that to happen and not do anything but just concern yourself about yourself? If you're right, then you're an uncaring and purely selfish expletive that has no right to talk to anybody about love and caring. Isn't it interesting how upset an atheist gets who doesn't believe that there's a God about Christian apathy? You know, if you were a, christian uh if you were a a jew living in the land of goshen and you looked into the distance and you saw an egyptian dealing with the swarm and then you heard the news hey moses went to pharaoh again you're at the community meeting and he's not letting us go he hardened his heart again and maybe you you knew there's more to come what would you do would you stay in goshen would you say i'm all right i mean did you see what happened the swarms came and didn't trouble us yeah they were running "Ah," but it's cool or would you say you know what i'm going across the street i'm going to try to talk to some egyptians about the living god what are you doing about that see we all know there's a coming storm don't we we all know it's coming either when someone dies on this planet or when the Lord comes, if he comes in our day, what are we doing? Can we stand in Goshen and just say, (laughs) I know, I see him running, but hey, I'm all right. Or can we say, you know what? No, I care. You know, they did a poll in the United States and they said that 2% of professing evangelical Christians have shared the gospel. 2% of the church Is serious about evangelism. Is that the church of the book of Acts? A church that sits on its laurels and knows that the swarm is coming and still says, Well, I'm all right. No. See, part of the joy of the Christian life is to walk into Egypt and say, Hey, there's a way you can be saved, there's a way you can be delivered. Come and know who God is, come and find the living God. you know, as you see this separation too, it reminds us once again of God's love for his people. Because while he is dishing out judgment on Egypt in their defiance to him, he's protecting the ones he loves. Remember early on when the uh, Jews heard that God cared about them? Remember what it did? It made them worship. They bowed down and they worshiped God. And this is an expression of his love, believe it or not. In the uh, the dire consequences of the Egyptians receiving judgment... The love of God is shown for his own people. See, he's come after they've been beat up. And you know, we talked a little bit about eschatology, but it may be that the church gets beat up for a while in a tribulation period. But God's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to deliver us from his wrath because we've not been appointed to wrath. But I would say to you tonight as the church, because I have a a heart of an evangelist and because I'm speaking to myself right now too just not preaching to you, talking to myself too, that we need to go out into Egypt, this world, and tell people, there's a storm coming. Just like Noah did, right? There's a way to be saved. There's a way to have peace. There's a way to have joy. There's a way for the anger to go away. There's a way for contentment to come. It's not circumstantial. It's not where you live. It's who you know. Amen? Father, thank you tonight for your great love for us. We do love you and we thank you that in the Old Testament as we see your mighty hand, the finger of God, moving so powerfully, we also realize that um, that mighty hand of God has moved in our lives and you've stretched out and touched us with that beautiful touch, that saving touch. See, we were in Egypt and we could have been one of those people that when the swarms came... It would have eaten us up and destroyed us. And yet you called us out of Egypt into your land, into the land truly of the living, those who are alive in Jesus Christ. And you set us apart. And you tell us we are your people and you are our God. And one day, Lord, one glorious day, not too far away for all of us, we're going to be basking in your presence seeing you face to face and you're going to wipe every tear from our eyes there'll be no more pain no more sorrow no more grief no more disease no more death the former things will have passed away and there we will celebrate not only with the saints of old and the saints that we read about in the Bible but even the loved ones that we've lost that have gone on before us and we haven't lost them we know exactly where they are Father And we're going to be with you and with them one happy day. In the meantime, Lord, there is an Egypt here. It's this world and there's many people who don't understand the significance of a day that's coming when you will judge the world in righteousness by the man that you've appointed. You've given evidence of this by raising him from the dead. You are now calling all men everywhere to repent because you have fixed that day with repentance Lord comes a beautiful relationship with you one of peace one of harmony but one that also should have a burden for the others still left in Egypt who still have the bugs buzzing them who still have that constant vibration in their ears lack of peace lack of hope for the future and they can't see there's too much junk flying around I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see them this week too. Not just stare off at them from Goshen, but to make a move and tell them where to find life. In the living God, in the finger of God. We do love you, Father, and we glorify you for the mighty way in which you've worked in our lives. We thank you for loving us. We say, as John said, we love you because you first loved us. Tonight we want to draw close to you, Father. And so whatever the cares, burdens, things that have come into our lives this week may we cast them off may we rejoice that we are set apart for you but may we also have an eye towards egypt not to live there not to even participate with them but to tell them how they can be saved thank you lord in jesus name we pray amen